Amen. What a precious time of singing together. And Mike, I'm going to have a make a special request that we could return to that last song you did, that hymn. It's appropriate as it is for the message. Um, of course, you're the worship leader. You can disregard my requests. But uh, I think you'll see in just a moment how appropriate it is. Well, good morning. My name is Bauer Evans. If you're joining us by stream, we're glad you're here. And I'm sure you've noticed, uh, if you are new to Crossway, that on our YouTube page, there is a link there now for first-time or second-time guests. We'd love for you to click that link and both acknowledge your visit, but it gives you an opportunity to introduce yourself and ask any questions you have um, of our church. We're glad you're with us. There's also some other links there uh, for you to explore um, at your leisure and um, thanks for being here. Thank you all for being here on what was a what is a beautiful uh, September morning. I don't know how many of you were up as I was uh, around six this morning, but the sunrise this morning was spectacular. Um, those those that Auburn uh, sunrise with those uh, streaming clouds um, set my heart to singing, and as we were reminded during our time of singing of our humble King uh, who welcomes our singing, our worship, uh, my heart was set to singing again, so thank you for that stirring reminder, worship team. Thank you for your giving, your faithful giving each and every week, and we do say that with all sincerity. Um, we received your giving of both tithe and offering, one of three ways in the back in the basket, uh, online, through our online giving, and then you can use, uh, you can mail it to us as well. We so appreciate your faithful support uh, during this time uh, this, of the pandemic. I've been asked to make two announcements, uh, and as you know, um, as many of you have pointed out to me, when it comes to the announcements, Uh, details can often escape me, so I may get this wrong, but I'm trying. Uh, Children's ministry, we will continue to offer as we go into the fall these virtual lessons that Abby and Linda and the Lachances have prepared. Uh, They really are a playlist of of hit performances, so uh, you should get more than one lesson out of them. But on September 20th, we're attempting to offer an out side class. That's correct, an outdoor class following the guidelines of the governor as well as working with our public health uh, officer, Kathleen Liberty, who's been delightful. We're still working through some of the logistics, but if you're a teacher or helper, I know Aaron's been in touch with you. I'm meeting with Ted and Aaron remotely on Tuesday to hammer through some of those. But for parents of children, September 20th, we're going to attempt to offer an outdoor children's ministry class. Please note that. And there'll be more information, I'm sure, this week uh, after we have met. But that's exciting as we're leaning in uh, to this season of limitations if we are able to do that. Secondly, we will have some important updates for you. So you need to be checking Dave's weekly email regarding the property next door, 278. Um, I'm going to be meeting... Um, in a week or so with both the finance team and some gentlemen who are helping us 
evaluate construction bids and proposals. But we have some news regarding 278, and it's good news. God has not been lethargic during the pandemic when it comes to the opportunities uh, regarding the, the, the house that was gifted to us. And so we're excited to share that with you. Uh, that information will be shared in a family meeting setting. You'll get information on that. That will be towards the end of the month. And um, stay tuned. And if you have questions on that, hold them until the family meeting. Well, we're going to conclude our series on the parables today. So please open in your scriptures, the Bible, to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 14. And we are going to be looking at a passage that contains two very small parables. Esconced or covered, if you will, by some statements by Jesus that are what, what pastors call hard sayings, meaning they're both clear, but also challenging. Uh, but for, for followers of Christ, vitally important when it comes to uh, our relationship with him. Before I read the, the scripture, let me introduce this passage this way. Uh, yesterday, I joined a chorus of men and women who were cutting their lawn. As I finished walking the dog or playing with Lexi outside, I heard not one, not two, but three lawnmowers uh, loudly cutting their grass yesterday. And so I was inspired to cut my lawn, and I did something that I probably need to do more often. I checked the oil on my lawnmower, and it was low. It needed a quart. I, I know to put gas in, and I know how to start it, and I can do straight lines, but I forgot you're supposed to check the oil periodically. I tuned it up. Uh, well, my uh, lawn guy tuned it up for me in the spring, uh, and so I gave it a quart of oil. If you're a Christian... This is an oil check. And you may be lacking a quart or two. And so pay careful attention. Now, if you're not a Christian or you're not sure and you're exploring Christianity, in the same way, my lawnmower engine will not run without oil. A relationship with God through Christ does not run without your response to this call, this call to costly discipleship as followers of Jesus. So the question you want to ask this morning is, is he worth it? If this is the call, is he worth it? And for the Christian, if you're missing a court, spiritual court in your engine, your answer to that may have changed. And so God, by his grace, comes to us in his word to encourage us. He is worth it, absolutely, even though the cost to follow him be costly. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25, this is God's word. Now great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, and even his own life, 
he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my own disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. Thanks be to God for his word. May the spirit give us new mercy and grace to pay careful attention to it. Let's pray. Father, as we have worked our way through the book of Luke, and in particular, the parables Jesus told, we are grateful that you have given us in Scripture such clear, simple, yet practical teachings by which to orient our lives and follow Christ by. We pray, Lord, that would be said of of this passage as well. Challenging as it may be, we are grateful for its clarity and straightforwardness. And we pray now by your Spirit, both the grace to embrace it, though it be difficult, and the wisdom to apply it in daily life and as a church on mission with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You can say amen if you're streaming. In Luke chapter 14, get my notes organized here, Jim. Jesus calls out to those who would be his disciples. You notice this in verse 25. Great crowds were accompanying Jesus. And it's to them now that the Lord gives his full attention. He's not addressing the Pharisees, perhaps as he was last week through Dan's parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector. He's not even addressing the disciples, those 12 men who have left everything to follow him. He's addressing the crowds, the crowds who found Jesus' teaching compelling. The crowds who were amazed at the miracles that he did. The crowds who amened as he gave it to those in authority that were taking advantage of him. 
the compassion, as Mike described in his worship set, he had for the poor and needy. Jesus was popular, and they were following him. And so now Jesus speaks directly to them. Have you noticed, whether it be in parenting or marriage or school, a classroom, or work, that when you're not paying attention, the speaker will make extra efforts to get your eyes back on him or her to ensure that you're listening. I'm sure it's not, it's, I'm sure it's not only me in my marriage, but when I'm not paying attention to Linda and she has something important to say to me, she will say that precious word, Bauer. I have to put my phone down. I have to stop playing with Lexi. I have to not get my ESPN update, whatever I'm doing, and I have to give her my attention. When a teacher in a classroom, even if they're streaming, in the midst of a lecture or instruction or activity says your name, Abby, that pupil all of a sudden realizes, I need to give my full... When a parent wants to either encourage a child or an adult child... Or say something more corrective in nature. I know the parents in this church make sure that the eyes of those kids are on them. Otherwise, they're probably not listening. Any more than if you were an employer and you're giving instructions to an employee and he or she is not looking at you or doesn't return your email, is listening to you. This for the crowds is Jesus I, eyes, I need your eyes. Are you listening? Because I've got some important things to say to you. And so as we begin here, I believe that because you're in church and you're streaming, God has your attention. Otherwise, why would you be here? He has your eyes. And he has important things to say to me too. Even as one who has to bring this hard saying as we're in the book of luke it's important to knowledge where jesus is in the story he's on his way to jerusalem he's moving inexorably towards the pinnacle of his earthly ministry offering his life on the cross for our salvation And knowing that, knowing the hostility that awaits him there, knowing the violence that he will suffer, knowing the death that he will endure, you could say Jesus has some final words using two parables for any would-be followers. Here's my main point. It's simple, and you probably have concluded it already. Following Christ is a costly commitment. Following Christ is a costly commitment. And this morning we're going to look at the price Christ says a true disciple pays. And then count the cost, as he gives us two parables, to pay that. And then a problem to avoid. 
as disciples on the way. A price, a cost, and a problem. Let's look at the price to pay in verses 25 through 27. And Jim, this would be my first point. A true disciple values Christ more than any other relationship in the world. A true disciple values Christ more than any other relationship in the world. Look at verse 26. Jesus says to the crowd, if anyone comes to me, he's addressing everyone, not just his disciples, not just church leaders. If you or I, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Can you imagine how astonished Jesus' words were to that first audience? And how offended they must have been? I mean, the family unit, unlike today, I think, in our culture, the family unit was, was the center of that culture. Your identity was forged through whom you were part of a family of. Your right to property came through your family. Unlike our transient society, all your relatives were there with you in your family, often living with you. It was the, it was the center. So when he issues this call to follow him and says, unless you are willing to hate His words would be a, really, a frontal attack on what they treasured. Now, this is where Scripture interprets Scripture. And Jesus is the best interpreter of Scripture that's ever lived, right, Dave? Jesus kept the fifth commandment every moment of his life. Honor your father and your mother, and it will go well with you. In fact, throughout Luke's gospel, he's been telling his disciples to love others too. Love one another, love your neighbor, love your enemies. In fact, he summarizes the whole law in Luke 10, when the lawyer tests him saying, what shall I do to inherit Eternal life, Jesus says to him, what's written in the law, love God with everything and love your neighbor too. Verse 25 and 27 of Luke 10. So clearly the teaching of Jesus himself and the teaching of scriptures is that we are to love others. But if part of counting the cost is to not love our families more than him, Then the true disciple asks this question, do I love him first? Do I love him first and do I love him the most? Not by hating my parents or my, but by loving him first, I will love my family too. Warren Betcher, who's a pastor, we hope to have back once uh, COVID uh, goes away. Dear friend, uh, he was our premarital pastor in the Cherry Hill area. And he told a story about his, um, 
young boy, Stephen. He was very young. We babysat for Stephen. Stephen had these flowing red locks, kind of like Joe Kennedy, but with flowing red locks. Four years old. And uh, as Warren would tell the story, Stephen kind of was born with a teenager's sleeping habits, meaning he didn't like to fall asleep till late at night. And if you know Warren, he has to go to bed early. So it's like 11, 12 at night, Warren's already on two hours of deep sleep. And Stephen comes into their room, turns on the lights, somewhat hunkered over, and comes to his dad. Warren awakens from his slumber, his REM. And what's wrong? And Stephen said this, Dad, I'm burdened. What are you burdened about? It's after midnight. I love you and mom more than I love God. Warren said so he could go back to sleep. That's a good thing. Let's talk about this more in the morning. Can't you hear Warren say that? <laughs> so the next morning, what did this father do? He said, hey, Stephen. I think Warren slept in that morning. Let's go up to Cumberland Farms together. They don't have Cumberland Farms, but work with it. And when we go to the store, I want you to talk to the clerk. And while you talk to the clerk, I'm going to back and I'm going to steal a case of Tasty Cakes. And while you're talking, you distract him and I'll run out the door and then we'll have Tasty Cakes together. And Stephen said, Daddy, that's stealing. God says, thou shall not steal. And I'll have to report you. And Warren said, that's loving God first. Not loving dad more. You see, I think as Christians, good things, even something as precious as our family or the gift of our career or a hobby that brings you refreshment or a friendship that has shaped your life, when we love that more than we love God, we're no longer on the road of true discipleship. And it's easy to do that, isn't it? But what Jesus is saying to these would-be followers is this. I must be first and foremost in all your relationships or you are not a true follower of me. That's a hard saying, but he repeats it three times. He says in verse 26, you cannot be an eye disciple if you don't live like this. And in verse 27, whoever does not take up his cross will not be my disciple. And in verse 33, if you do not renounce all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. Francis, it's not, you cannot negotiate a side deal with Jesus on this one. Either he is first and all other allegiances and relationships fall to the second spot. And just to be clear, he said similar things in Matthew, in Mark. And so God says, I am first. I must be first. I love you enough to demand that of you. Folks, loving Christ in this culture of ours 
there are so many voices telling us what needs to be first. And following God doesn't even make the list. But for people in this day who applied this teaching, more likely than not, they were disowned by their family, shunned by their community, rejected by the religious synagogue of the day. It was costly. And that's true for millions of believers today. So Jesus says a true disciple values Christ more than any other relationship in the world. Now, before we count the cost... Let's remind ourselves of what Dan reminded us of communion. The new covenant meal of communion declares salvation is by grace alone. Somebody say amen. Amen. It's received through faith in Christ alone. And when we receive him, we get all of him. Glorious Jesus and the salvation he brings. So this call to a costly commitment in no way undermines or supersedes the gracious gift of salvation that Jesus gives us when we receive him by faith. In other words, your salvation isn't for sale. You can't pay for it and you didn't purchase it. You wouldn't have enough to buy it anyway if we combined all of our bank accounts. And you can't earn it. You cannot earn it, even through your costly commitments. You do not earn it. Somebody say amen. Amen. We're streaming that. Salvation is free. Jesus is a gift. But when you receive him, he demands it all. So although it's free, the commitment is costly. Not as the basis of your salvation. Christ died for your sins. Hallelujah. It's a free gift we receive. Thank you, Jesus. Your righteousness is eternal. I'm accepted. My forgiveness is complete. Praise the Lord. But it makes a claim. We must love Christ above all else we love. Or we're not on the true road of discipleship. So... Is your relationship with Christ yours? Not the person sitting next to you. Not the person you're witnessing to or praying for. Is your relationship with Christ a priority over anyone else in the world? Second, let's count the cost. Jesus gives us two parables to count the cost in verses 28 to 33 because a lifestyle of discipleship requires we die to ourselves and give to others. Bless you. Someone just sneezed. A lifestyle of discipleship requires we die to ourselves and give to others. And really the emphasis of the passage, as much as I want Dave to make this a message primarily about salvation by grace through faith alone, the emphasis of the passage is, have you counted the cost? Have I counted the cost? Have we counted the cost? Because we must count the cost in order that we live out of 
a kingdom and grow into a kingdom value of discipleship. I'll say that again. We must count the cost regularly. We must check the oil on the oil dipstick in our spiritual engine regularly. Because a lifestyle of discipleship requires this. Beginning in verse 28, let's look at it quickly, and I'll move more quickly through this point. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see him begin to mock him. Verse 31, or what king going out to war with another king will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, he'll send a delegation and ask for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Count the cost. Count the cost. These two parables in parallel with one another. For someone who's exploring Christianity requires you to do some deliberation, doesn't it? Jesus calls the crowd to consider whether they can afford to follow him. Moving towards discipleship by Jesus, moving towards following Jesus, moving towards surrendering all to Jesus, moving towards by grace, albeit we grow into it, keeping him first requires reflection. It's not an automatic. But if we were to line up people just who are here this morning and have them stream out in two sentences their testimony, their story, in other words, Was it worth it? Was it worth it? It required reflection, but was it worth it? Their stories would dazzle us. They would also share that they realize very quickly that they don't contain within themselves the resources to count the cost and make these costly commitments over the long term. That the resources necessary to pursue Jesus are found in Jesus himself. He gives us the help that we need in time, in his time, through others and in ways appropriate to the situation. So apart from divine grace and enablement, no amount of cost counting will capture the resources sufficient to be faithful to this call. He provides it. But nonetheless, those sacrifices are real. The disciple quickly realizes that to identify with Jesus makes a demand of my relationships around me as they discover I'm now living, submitted to another master. I'm now following another Lord's commands. I'm doing what is right because Jesus commanded it, even when it is hard.
I'm sure many of you have stories of when you told your family, if you grew up in a non-Christian home, or you told your friends that you hung out with, or you announced to your classmates in some context, I'm a Christian now. Jesus died for my sins. I'm following. I made perhaps the unwise mistake as a young believer to have a radio show at my college which played my babbling and Christian rock songs in the cafeteria and throughout the dorms on Sunday mornings. And so when I went to class after that first show, I had a lot of questions to answer from professors. And first off, what are we listening to? The res band? But secondly, you're a Christian? It was hard. There was some degree of alienation and isolation that followed. But it was freeing. And he's worth it. I belong to him who died for me and loves me and my sins, all of them forgiven forever. And so he gave me the grace, albeit it was imperfect response on my part to do it. Friends, If you're not a Christian or you're considering it, have you surrendered to Christ and his call to follow him? It will require that you die to yourself and begin to serve others. And if you are a believer, maybe a tougher question than that. Has your heart wandered from following Christ completely? Has your heart wandered? What have you taken back that once belonged to him? Maybe it's one of your relationships. Maybe being a Christian and doing what Christ calls you. I'm, COVID and living at home with my family 24-7, it, it isn't always a recipe for harmony and peace. It has resulted in conflict and outbursts of anger on my part. You saw conviction last Sunday as I was closing. Repentance was needed. I don't like that. It's it's unpleasant in the moment. But if I don't respond, it begs the question, has my heart wandered from following Christ completely? And who am I giving my allegiance to? What identity, what substitute savior, what pursuit? And for what reasons would I do that? Uh, Just that question alone. If we reflect for a few moments on where each of us is tempted when we are disappointed or discouraged in how God is providentially ordering our lives and we struggle we struggle to surrender afresh to his lordship and with joy take the elements of communion say thank you it's all of grace good bad and different i am your child saved by your son
then that gap that God is revealing is not to punish you or condemn you. That gap in your relationship is His grace pursuing you, wooing you back, drawing you back, bringing clarity and conviction to win you back. Because a lifestyle of discipleships requires that we die to ourselves and give to others. Let's close with this. There's not only a price to pay and accounting of the cost, but a problem to avoid. He ends this, this message to the crowd with, with this parable about salt. Salt is good, he says, verse 34, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. The cost to follow Christ can be massive. And one who refuses the call to pursue discipleship in this manner The text implies that you've rejected Christ and his salvation for your Savior. But let us as followers heed the Savior's warning. The only way to continue to be his disciple is to do it this way. Yes? To continue to be a true disciple, we must continue to fulfill the costly commitments of following him by grace through the encouragement of others, but nonetheless, to remain salty, to remain flavorful, if you will, to remain potent and useful in His kingdom. However God determines that usefulness to be, this doesn't allow for compromise, does it? So in light of the cost, is He worth it? I conclude with this. There's two ways to answer that. First, negatively, what you miss if you don't. And on the authority of the Bible and the testimony of the Spirit and the history of this church, I would tell you that not following Christ costs you much more. Both now And later, it costs much more. It costs much more for you not to follow him now because you won't live life as you were intended to, both by your creator and your redeemer, the good shepherd Christ himself. And in eternity, the judgment for sin is settled. It's hell. So it's worth it. But what do you gain? It's also worth it for what you gain. Following Christ gives life. Before and after. When I had everything without Christ, I had many things, but I had ultimately nothing. No purpose, no assurance, no peace. Do you remember when Jesus, after many disciples who turned back following another hard teaching, Jesus asked his disciples, do you want to leave me as well? And Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
And to you we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. John 6. Where can we go? Where can we turn to? You are the ones with eternal life. Is he worth it? Yes. Following Christ gives life. Abundant life, but not without cost. To be his disciple is both to receive blessing and to experience the joy of suffering as one identified with him. There is a day coming, isn't there, when there will be a new creation. No pandemic and no sin. And we will see him together, face to face. In heaven, we will be looking at him together. Christ is the host. He's throwing a great banquet, it says in the previous parable. And those that are invited to that banquet, the host himself, Jesus counted the cost, didn't he, in order to save you. When we think about counting the cost, we're not the first to count it. He himself counted the cost And for the joy set before him, as we read earlier, he endured the cross. He saved us. So where are we now as we end? We're not repaying what he's done. We are worshiping him in gratitude and receiving what he has secured with joy. As we continue to make those costly commitments in our relationships and in our world following Christ. If you heard nothing else this morning, hear this. He is absolutely worth it. So count the cost. Let's pray. Father, what a great gospel you have given us in sending us your son and in giving us the scriptures to remind us that our salvation, your relationship with us is only because of the cost you paid. No cost we could never pay. A cost, quite frankly, that even with communion and these beautiful songs, we barely can comprehend what you have paid, but we will comprehend it fully in heaven together. And Lord, we will say as we are about to say now, thank you, Jesus, for counting the cost. And saving me. Lord, we want to follow you with all of our hearts. And we see this as a costly call. So please help us. We know we are weak. Be patient with us. But Lord, these words you're speaking, they give life. In those spaces and places where we this week, by grace will make you Lord and first again. If we're not a Christian, I pray for my friend. Lord, that you would forgive us of our sins through Jesus Christ alone. And I surrender all that I am, all that I have to you, Lord, as my master, as my king. Fill me with your spirit. Make me a child of God. And join me with others.
that I might count the cost with them. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand.